Amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Well, would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians? Actually, to two places. Uh, the Philippians chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 16. There's another cup right here, an empty one. And that's a full one and an empty one there. Do you mind? Are you going to bring me some water? Oh, thanks. Um, Philippians chapter 1 and Acts chapter 16. Can I just tell you that I love this church? Uh, even during worship, I was thinking like, man, maybe we should have moved to Perth. Because this is just such a cool, um, I mean, I just sensed the presence of the Lord and the worship was, it just, it does what it's supposed to do. It just draws you into the presence of Jesus without bringing attention to any, you know, great singer or person or, or anything like that. And I just, I just love this church. You have a, an incredible pastor. I've known Dan for a, a bit. I don't know him really well. Obviously, I don't know him as well as you do. But I do know this, uh, that he preaches God's word with passion and with conviction, with integrity. Thank you, Randy. And, uh, and so you are blessed. Keep coming. Bring a friend. Bring neighbors. Bring everybody you know. And uh, this is the light of Perth. And uh, I'm just so privileged and thankful to be here with you uh, this morning. Um, Randy did not share this, but uh, we moved from Oakville, a uh, suburb of Toronto. Many of you are probably familiar with, with uh, kind of the layout there. But we, I, I was pastoring in Oakville for a number of years. And uh, one, uh, one day, Randy and Chelsea, I believe they were newly married. Um, they were going to be in the area. And so I asked Randy if he would come and and preach, and lead worship. Uh, and so he graciously agreed to do that, and so he came over, and, and, and I said, you know, I asked him what he was preaching, what he was going to preach on, he said he was going to preach on worship, and I said, well, that's, that's, a, that's great, why don't we do it this way then? Why don't you do maybe one or two songs in the beginning, and then you can preach on worship, and then right after worship, just take us right into a time of worship. And, and um, what he didn't know is that at, at that moment, we were going through a difficult time, just within the church and in, in, in just... And um, when he preached, and when he led worship afterwards, man, the Holy Spirit fell. And people were touched, and it was, it was just what we needed at that time. And so it was, just, it, was, it was such a powerful day. I always look back on that and say that in a sense, was a bit of a turning point, and the Lord, the Lord just really used that. So I'm, I'm grateful for Randy and, and just what a, what a great work the Lord is doing. Here's what I'd like to do today. Here's what I'd like to share with you. Kind of the big idea here, uh, right out of Philippians 1. I want you to know, and I want to encourage you today, God is working in you. Do you believe that? I know sometimes that's hard, right, to believe that God is actually working in us. He seems like he's got better things to do. He's got bigger people, more important people to, to work in. But no, God is working in you. And it started with your salvation. And I don't really know if, if, if we take enough time to realize what happened at salvation. I felt pretty strongly in preparing for this that God wanted me to talk about judgment. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk about judgment as a guest speaker go in and say, God is... And, and so I really, really wrestled with doing this teaching on judgment and what passage and all of that. And, 
And um, uh, I was asked uh, on Friday, there's a, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a Bible study on Parliament on Friday afternoon. Did you know that? We need to pray for the leaders of our country. And, uh, and I praise God, there was about 20 or so people there, and um, uh, I was asked by the gentleman that organizes it, um, if I would come and share a short Bible study, and, and, uh, and so I did. And I think some of the things that I shared there I want to share here with you. Um, but even as I was thinking about this uh, passage in Philippians 1 and then later in Acts chapter 16, God is working in you in salvation. See, here, here's, here's the thing. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 17... Speaking about God, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. This is Acts 17.30. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Speaking of Jesus, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So God has set a day in the future when he's going to judge the world by Jesus Christ. But Paul says here, he commands everybody to repent because judgment day is coming. Well, what do those two things have to do with each other? Brothers and sisters, Isaiah chapter 53, if you know your Bibles, if you don't, make sure you write Isaiah 53 down and and just... Memorize the context and the topic of Isaiah 53. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple verses from it because this is answering the question, what does repentance have to do with judgment? What does being a Christian have to do with a day of judgment that's coming? Isaiah chapter 53, it says in verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Pay attention to this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And I I could go on, but here's what happened. Jesus was judged for your sins. Do you understand? So there's a day of judgment coming, but you're not going to go through that judgment. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, and let me qualify that because I don't know you, if you are a Christian, and what do I mean by a Christian? I mean by someone who has asked Jesus to save you. What did Paul say? God commands everyone to repent. You repent by being genuinely sorry for your sin and admitting, agreeing with God, my sin is wrong, it's offensive. So that's repentance. If you agree with that, you agree what God thinks about your sin, then that means that you won't go through the future judgment, the day of judgments that's coming, because listen, Jesus came, the first time. How many believe Jesus came the first time? Yeah? Almost everybody. <laughs> Historically, I mean, you can't, no matter whether you're a Christian or not, you cannot deny that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, it's historically a fact. So he did come the first time. 
And I know you had to move your clocks forward, so I can understand it's hard sometimes to raise your hand early in the morning. There's free coffee there if you need help with that. Um, Jesus came the first time, but he did not come as a judge. Do you understand that? He came as a savior. He came as a gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming the second time, but he's not coming as a savior necessarily. He's coming as a judge. Do you understand that? Read the book of Revelation. I take it literally. And when you get to the end of Revelation, and I could qualify that if you have questions about that, ask me afterwards. It's beyond the scope of this message. But when you get to the book of, but when you get to the ending chapters of Revelation, you see Jesus coming as a judge. But your sin was judged already. Your iniquities, your infirmities, your sorrows, your transgressions, your punishment was placed upon Jesus. God's not going to judge you twice. Now here's the problem, and here's, here's where we're going to transition now into Philippians because the, the, the big idea is God is working in you. He's already saved you. If you're a Christian here today, he's already taken that punishment upon himself. Jesus has. But here's where sometimes I struggle, and maybe you do too. Sometimes I judge myself with a judgment that God doesn't judge me with. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I fail, I mess up, I sin, and, and I get so down on myself, and I feel like I'm such an idiot, and I, I, I can't believe that I should be farther along than I am now, and, and I'm heaping condemnation on myself. Am I the only one, or do you guys do it too? I heap this condemnation on myself, but yet God says, no, Pat, Jesus was condemned for you. So it's time, to, it's time to move on, and it's time to get up, brush off your jeans, and just keep moving, keep moving forward, because we live in an imperfect, fallen, cursed world that's going to be, you know, that, that God's going to make everything make sense in the future. And so when Paul then... writes to the Philippians, he says this. Join with me there in Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, there you have it, brothers and sisters. God started that good work of salvation in you. And so, so he's going to carry it on to completion. How many of you would tell me today, God has completed the work that he started in me. <laughs> Anybody? God has not completed the work in any of you, and you all look wonderful today. You all look great, but you're not done yet. You're a work in progress. Amen? You're a work in progress. God is working in you. And Paul, he says in verse uh, 
I'm getting old. He says in verse 2, <laughs> grace and peace and judgment. No, no, no. He doesn't say judgment be to you. He says grace and peace because our sin's already been judged. Our sin's already been judged. And so I think one of the challenges that we have in Christianity to walk with Christ is to think about ourselves the way that God thinks of us. And I'm not talking about, you know, having enough faith and being rich or any, you know, that her heresy or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just thinking like, you know, God loves me. God's working in me. God, God is, is, is bringing me and drawing me closer to himself. And I want you to meet three people this morning. They're not here. But many believe that the pastor of the church of Philippians uh, was a man named Epaphroditus. And uh, you can read through Philippians and learn about him. Seems like a pretty cool guy. Uh, and so it's likely that as they were gathering, I mean, have you ever thought about this? This Philippians at one time existed before the New Testament, right? It was an actual letter that Paul wrote to a group of people in a city which is in modern-day Greece now, but it's a, it was a city called Philippi. Got its name from uh, um, Philip, who was Alexander the Great's father, because he conquered that city and he named it after himself, and it became known as, as uh, Philippi, Philippi. So this letter's to the Phili people that lived in Philippi. And it's a very strategic city because it was on the main road from Rome into this Asian world. And so very, very, uh, it was a Roman colony, very important. So people there that lived in Philippi had Roman citizenship, even though they did not live in Rome. So it's a very important city. And if you notice, and we stopped, I stopped reading in verse 6, but I'm going to continue now. Let me read verse 7 and 8. And I want you to capture the heart of Paul as he's writing this to the Philippians. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And, and look at this. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I'm using a lot of self-control not to continue reading because it's just a beautiful, beautiful, I mean, this is so, so rich, this whole letter. But then he, he goes into this prayer that is just so beautiful. But did you, did you see his heart? Saying, I long for you. And Paul's writing this from a, from a prison cell in Rome. And uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, he all wrote from, a, I think Galatians as well, he all wrote from a prison cell. And, and he says here, I long for you. I long for you. The book of Philippians is really a thank you note. It's a thank you letter that Paul is writing to people that blessed him. They gave him many financial gifts to help him in a, in a time of difficulty. And, uh, and his heart was just overjoyed. He had so much love for these people kind of like your pastor has for you, I'm sure. Just he, he, he loved them. He carried them in his heart. In the Old Testament, the high priest had a breastplate, and there were uh, 12 stones in that breastplate, and each stone represented one of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And the picture there, I think it's pretty easy to see that the priest was carrying God's people close to his heart. 
the same way that our great high priest carries us close to his heart. And here Paul had this affection for the church at Philippi, for the people in the church at Philippi. Why do you think that is? I'm sure we could postulate lots of reasons, but I want you to look with me back in verse 3 where he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, so he's praying for them, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day. Paul You're praying for these people. You love them. You have affection for them. They're partnered with you in the gospel from the first day. Let's go to that first day. You want to go back to the first day that Paul met some of the Philippians? Look at Acts chapter 16. This is Paul's travel log. You know, Paul traveled a lot, planted churches all over the place. And in Acts chapter 16, we have the establishment of the church there at Philippi. It really begins in a fascinating way, and, and this, is, this, this, this opens up a whole other topic about discerning the, the will of God, which we're not going to get into. But if, if you notice, in Acts chapter 16, uh, in verse um, 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Whoa, did you see that? The Holy Spirit stopped them from preaching the gospel. Now that's a mind blower, right? I, I, think, I, I, don't, I can't think of many times where the Holy Spirit has stopped me from preaching the gospel, mostly because I probably don't do it enough. Do you know what I mean? If I did it more, maybe the Holy Spirit would say, hey, hold back, you know, I want you to go over there and not there. But sometimes we're just so closed off to, to the, to, you know, preaching and sharing, I'm, I am, maybe, not, maybe you're not, hopefully you're not, that maybe we, we're not led enough. But here they wanted to go into this part of the world. We don't know how, but it says the Holy Spirit forbidden them, forbade them. Maybe it was just a sense that they had, Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe it was something geographical. Maybe it was the way. I mean, we don't know how and what it actually looked like. But clearly, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in this province of Asia. So they changed directions. Hey, you know, if God closes the door, let's look for a window. <laughs> you know, let's go, let's go a different way. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Hey, Lord, so we're going to go preach it. Whoa, wait, wait, no, 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 we're not going to go that way. Okay, no, God doesn't want us to go that way. All right, no problem, let's go over, let's go over to Bithynia. Oh, no, we can't go that way either. We don't know how, we don't know what, what it was, but it was something that was so evident, so powerful, so strong, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't go that way. So they passed by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, now here's what is not really clear from the text yet, but Philippi is in Macedonia. Okay? So come over to Macedonia. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. This is where we, many Bible teachers believe Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, joined them. 
because the, the tense change went from they to we. So we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding, putting it all together, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so now we've got our marching orders. God, you're calling us to Philippi. You're calling us into Macedonia, so let's go. From Troas, we put out to sea, sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Oh, remember what Paul said in, in Philippians. He said, hey, I thank my God for all of you, your partnership in the gospel from the first day. So here it is. Here's the first day. We're going to look at it right now. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So now you see, Paul's normal strategy was to go into the synagogue, right? You know that if you've read the book of Acts. Paul would go into the synagogue. He would start talking to people about the gospel, proving that Jesus was the Messiah, showing them in the scriptures. Why didn't he do that in Philippi? That's what he did everywhere else. Simple answer, there was no synagogue. There was no synagogue in Philippi. So he goes out to the, the river, um, not necessarily, he's just going to find a place to pray. And we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. And so here we have a Christian businesswoman, uh, She's a dealer in purple cloth, buying and selling. Buying something, marking up the price, and then selling it. It's a businesswoman, and then obviously she was probably doing a pretty good job. And so you can think, some of you I'm sure are business people, you can think of, okay, what's, what's the mindset of a business person? Are they analytical, industrious, entrepreneurial? I always have a problem with that word, entrepreneurial, something like that, right? So you know that starting things and, and that, that type of, that type of uh, uh, personality. So that's who this lady, Lydia, is. Um, says she was a worshiper of God there. Um, and it says the Lord opened her heart. It wasn't Paul. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. But the Lord had to have a message, right? So it's cooperation. Paul says something, the Lord opens her heart. God's not going to open everyone's heart, but the Lord opens Lydia's heart. And, uh, and she responds. She and the members of her household, so maybe her husband, her children, uh, she invited us, so they were baptized. She invited us to her home. If you can see, and, and here it is. Here's the, the, you know, the business sense of Lydia coming out. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us, right? So that persuasion capability, that a good salesperson, right? That you're, you're able to persuade and help people to see things from a different perspective. So she loves the Lord. She understands the gospel. She's the first convert in the West, right? We're, we're later converts in that, in that stream, isn't that beautiful? So here you have Lydia and Paul's, Paul. Now Lydia, if you fast forward several years, as perhaps Epaphroditus just gets this letter from, uh, from his friend Paul, and he says, hey church, gather together. We got a letter from Paul, the apostle, and we're going to read it. You know who was sitting there listening to it? I believe with all my heart was Lydia. 
and maybe Lydia's husband, and maybe her children. Maybe she had a couple teenagers. We don't know. Maybe, maybe she had a sister, her family there. The gospel has, has, has spread into Lydia's family, and here she is listening as, as Epaphroditus or whoever might be reading, reading these words uh, from Paul, saying, I thank my God every time I remember you, Lydia. I remember when we were, went by to pray, and the, the, I saw you, and the Lord put it on my heart to start sharing and God opened your heart and, and you took us to your house and it was such a beautiful time. Paul's thinking, and keep it, he's in jail, right? he's in a prison. And he's thinking, oh, I wish I was there now with you guys, but I thank my God for what the Lord has done. God's working in you, Lydia. God has worked in you. He saved you. And, and maybe Lydia is one of the leaders of the church. Maybe she's got a ladies fellowship going on. Maybe she's teaching other ladies how to love their husbands and how to, maybe she's even helping Maybe she's even employing people in the church in, in her, in her uh, purple cloth business. Maybe she's teaching other ladies how to start businesses. Maybe she's even teaching men how to start businesses. Well, we're not going to talk about, talk about that, but maybe the Lord's using her. There was another person. That's the first person I wanted you to meet. The, uh, the second person I want you to meet this morning, I don't know what her name is. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, she's on the far end of the spectrum from a Christian businesswoman that's very industrious and making lots of money. No, this person was trafficked. Read it with me. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is Acts 16, 16, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit, not a good Holy Spirit, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. So here's a, a girl that somehow was trafficked by these guys, these people, and so now she's got this demonic spirit that she's able to predict a future and tell people's future. People pay the owners. They have them somehow connect with this girl and this girl. It's just a, what a terrible thing is going on there in Philippi. And so this girl, we don't know her name, followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, you know, I have to admit, the first several times I read this, I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool publicity. I mean, here it's like this, this girl is telling people, hey, listen to these guys, they're servants of God, they're telling you how to be saved. I'm like, Paul, why would you want to shut her up? Because if you keep reading, it says... She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, annoyed, that he turned around and said, not to the girl, because Paul knew what was going on, he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. I graduated from the University of Miami in Florida. And during my freshman year, my first year, so I'm, I don't know what, 18 years old, something like that, I was a Christian, I knew the Lord, and I got involved in a, in a Christian Bible study there with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, and it was a wonderful time in my life. I was learning, I was growing, I was, I was you know, it's kind of that season where I'm, I'm reading a lot of the Bible for the very first time, and you're just, wow, this is so good, and, and uh, going to a good church and, and all the rest. And, uh, and so I had a roommate, I didn't really know him before I 
was a student there, so just a random, random guy that, that uh, the university and maybe the Lord kind of allowed us to be roommates. And uh, um, so one night I was out late practicing. Uh, I was a music major, so I was practicing my trumpet. <laughs> and, uh, and so I came back upstairs, and, uh, and there was this girl, this random girl in the room, and my roommate, nothing weird was going on, but she was just there, and my roommate, and, uh, and, and my roommate said something like this, said, hey, Pat, we've been waiting to talk to you. I'm like, okay. Uh, but it was kind of awkward, right? Nobody's really talking. And, uh, and, and so then, I forget which one, it was either the girl or, or this guy asked me this question, like, um, do you know a lot about God? Now, how do you answer that question, right? <laughs> I mean, does anybody really know a lot about God? But, you know, you probably know more than the average person about God. I probably know more than the average person about God because we're students of his word, right? And so I, so I said something like, well, I think, or kind of, or I don't know, or whatever. And then this girl, Jenny, it's her real name, she started to tell me this story. Um, that just, I've never heard a story like this before. She said this. She said, um, I was in my dorm room, and uh, she was a Billy Idol fan. Anybody ever heard of Billy Idol? You guys know Billy Idol? So Billy Idol's like, um, I don't know, would that be rock and roll? Would it be rock music? Punk? I don't know if it What? Okay, yeah, so just, you know, secular rock and roll music, right? And, um, and so she said that she had a Billy Idol poster on, on her wall, and she said she was looking at the poster, and this is her story. I mean, was she making all this up? You can be the judge. I don't think she was, but she, so she, she said she was looking at this poster, and then she kind of got fixated, and she had a hard time, like, not looking at it, and then she said the face on the poster started to change, and it started to look like a demon, now, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Billy Idol, but there's not a whole lot of change that would have to take place for him to start looking like a demon. Um, if you haven't heard of Billy Idol, please don't go Google it. Ask your parents. Okay, talk to your parents. Don't go start opening up a floodgate of hell into, through your computer. Just talk to your parents, okay? Um, so she said that started looking at the demon, and then she basically, this girl Jenny, ended up... Um, explaining to me what she, was, what she experienced after that. I'm not going to tell you much more, but it was just a demonic possession is what she had experienced. And, um, uh, and then, and so here I am, right, an 18-year-old kid, like hearing this story for the first time, and I'm like, uh, okay, well, take the poster off your wall. <laughs> so that was my advice to her, and she's like, no, I already did that. And, um, uh, and then um, I don't even remember what I said, but... The point of my story, Jenny ended up, later on she came to some different Bible studies, and I believe she came to know the Lord, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, as I got some, I did what you should do, and that's get some other more mature believers involved, and, and I explained that story to my university staff worker, and she was kind of blown away, and like, and then, but anyhow, the girl ended up, uh, ended up coming to know the Lord down the road a piece, so, um, and I think that's what happened with this trafficked girl here in Acts chapter 16. Um, you know, th there's, there's a real world, a real spiritual world, a real demonic world that, that, uh, that we um, live in. And you can, through 
different experiences, you can expose yourself to things that are really bad for you. And so we don't know how this girl in Acts 16, I wish we knew her name, but we don't know how she ended up becoming possessed by this spirit, but we knew that God had a plan for her and God wanted to work in her just like he wants to work in all of us here. And so Paul cast this demon out, spoke to the spirit, and we don't have, that's the last we hear about this girl in the Bible, but folks, I gotta believe that she met Lydia, that she was invited to the church at Philippi. I gotta believe because now she's of no use to her owners. So I got to believe that somehow she got out of that situation and Paul writes to her, I don't know what we want to call her, Jane or Sue. I feel bad calling her slave girl, but Paul writes to her, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day, the first day until now. Well, the situation in Acts 16 goes from bad to worse. Really, you know, when something's bad, it's really not bad because God's using it, right? So it's even hard to, to say that, so I'm going to take that back. So now the owners get really upset. Because now their, their way of making money is gone. They can't, they can't use this girl anymore. So they then go to the leaders of the, the magistrates, the governor or the city council or whatever it might be, and they say, hey, these guys, these Jews are coming here. They're, they're telling people to do things that it's not consistent with the way we do things here in Philippi. They're, they're really messing up the economy here. They're, they're changing things. They're a threat to us. And, uh, and so I'm sure there was some underhandedness going on in that city, and I'm sure that, that people were probably getting paid off. I, I'm sure the political system was not, I'm sure it was a little corrupt. Uh, that's just my speculation, but um, I think that might be what's happening here, because you see then in verse 22, they get the whole crowd involved. They join in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates, the leaders, the politicians, the, the city leaders ordered them to be stripped and beaten. No trial. You know, I thank God for our freedom, don't you? You know, there's a lot of countries, a lot of governments that you could live under where you don't have the rights that we have here in Canada. And it's just the leaders make the rules and they do whatever makes them the most money and, uh, and they, they oppress people. And that's, that's what's happening here. And I'm thankful that we don't live in that type of government. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer, here, here's person number three, was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, what I want you to see here is that if it wouldn't have been for the slave girl, they never would have gotten to reach the jailer. Interesting. Verse 24, Acts 16, upon receiving such orders... He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, so here you have a jailer. So we, we've talked about a, a, a businesswoman, no doubt making money, profiting, nothing wrong with that, using her, her expertise and her skills, helping the economy, probably some employees. Businesswoman comes to know Jesus. And I'm sure she carried on as a businesswoman, at least for a while, I'm sure. 
Then you have at the other end of the spectrum this, this trafficked slave girl, demonic, filled with demons, and, uh, and, then, and, then, and she comes to know the Lord. But now we have a government employee working, he's working as a jailer. He's, uh, you know, he's probably just, he's thankful for his job, probably. He, uh, we know from the rest of the story, he had a family, he had a wife, and probably a few kids. He's just making, making, like all of us, right? Punching a clock, getting some money, paying his bills, buying, feeding his family. Uh, and it's, it's, this is his job. He's jailer. He locks people up. He's probably not, he's probably not a small man. He's probably not a weak man. He's probably not very empathetic. He's probably not very compassionate. Look what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, now we know Paul. I'm sure that as, as Paul's getting locked up, you know, their feet are in stocks, I don't know what they did with their hands, the jailer, he had instructions. He said, you know, and, and they're coming in all bloodied, right? Stripped and beaten, so they're bleeding, they've got open wounds, and the people that, that beat them, they didn't say, oh, okay, well, let's uh, take you to the hospital and get some, stitch, some stitches, clean you up, put some bandages on you before we throw you in jail. Do you think they did that? I doubt it. So they probably have, he's probably bleeding, right? Maybe they're, Paul and Silas, they're, maybe they're, they're trying to put pressure on their wounds to keep them from bleeding. I mean, I don't know, but these guys don't look really good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're, they're like bleeding all over and, and they're, they're in lots of pain. And, uh, and, and do you think Paul, when he saw the jailer, he's like, hey, we're not being treated fairly. This guy, we're getting locked up. We didn't do anything wrong. We just came here to tell people about Jesus and you let us out. Do you think Paul's doing something like that? No, I don't think he is. I think he's probably saying, hey, jailer, you know, Jesus loves you, man. You know, God sent us here because he wants, do you know what the jailer's doing? The jailer's, hey, shut up. I could care less. I don't want to hear your, and he probably doesn't have a, a real nice mouth either. Because he's probably locked up a lot of guys that followed the example of my first way I portrayed Paul. You know, hey, I'm innocent, man. What are you doing? Don't let it. You ate it. And that probably, that, that's probably most of his prisoners, right? And so this jailer, it's just, it's just, he could care less. You say what you want, scream however you want. You're, you're going in there. And I'm sure he was probably, you know, they're not going to hire like a little, they're not going to hire a little guy, right? They're going to hire somebody who looks like a bouncer, somebody who's got some, some muscles, And Paul and Silas, they're praying. So I, Paul's probably like, you know what? We can't reach this guy. <laughs> He's hard, man. He's not listening to us. So let's just pray. Let's pray. Let's worship God. And you know, the jailer could care less. He's sleeping. He's not listening to their singing. He's not converted by their singing. God loved him so much. The words didn't get to him. The praying didn't affect him in the natural. The singing didn't affect him. So God says, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll reach this guy on his terms. So look what God does. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You know, I read this story a bunch of times, not even thinking about why was there an earthquake, or thinking, yeah, the earthquake was to let Paul free. I believe the earthquake was to reach the jailer. I believe the earthquake was to get the jailer's attention. By the way, just a little side road here. When you're going through a trial, like Paul and Silas, Pray and sing 
So often that's the last thing I do when I go through a trial. My wife can tell you. So I just, I just freak out and complain and try to fix it, right? Do you do that? I try to fix the trial. What can we do? How can we get out of this? What do we do? And often the last resort, unfortunately, in my life sometimes, is praying and singing. And sometimes the prayer is like, okay, Lord, please help me fix this. And then you go and try to fix it. No, 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 slow down. Pray and worship the Lord in the middle of your trial and watch what happens. Maybe God will send an earthquake and fix the problem. God sends this earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. The prison doors fly open. Everybody's chains came loose. And oh my goodness, the jailer woke up. Verse 27, that was enough to wake, to wake him up. So he's, he's sawing logs, you know, he's just sleeping. I don't know if he had his little bed or he's sleeping there. And, and the, the thing shakes. He wakes up and he sees the doors open. And you know what that means. If the doors are open, the prisoners are gone. And he knew that the penalty now would be for him to get tortured and killed because it was his job to guard the prisoners. There's not a lot of rights. There's not a lot of lawyers. and, and he, so, so the jailer wakes up sees the prison doors open, and he says, you know what, I'd rather kill myself than have somebody else kill me. Because I know there's no way out of this. I'm gonna, they're going to they're gonna kill me. And so, so the jailer takes his sword, and he's getting ready to fall on his sword. And then Paul says, wait, we're here. All of us, we're here. And so the jailer, notice this. This is a little detail here. It says in verse 29, the jailer called for lights. Well, wait a minute, I thought Paul could see the jailer. But if there were no lights, how did Paul see the jailer? Maybe there were lights where the jailer was and not where Paul was, and so Paul could see the lights. Or maybe the Holy Spirit just showed Paul to call out to the jailer at that moment. I don't know. But the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. So something's going on. There's not just an earthquake out there there's an earthquake in here. God was quaking his earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and in this moment, he realized, like, this is, wait, what? The, the, the prisoners are still here. The doors are open. The, you know, the, I don't know if the walls were crumbling or, or what was going on with the violent earthquake. And the jailer realized, what must I do to be saved? And, and so, Maybe he did hear what Paul said. Maybe he did have some understanding of Jesus. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to, to all the others in his house. So between verse 30 and verse 32, they left. And the, the jailer took them to his house. Now, were Paul and Silas the only prisoners? Do you think maybe the jailer took the other prisoners as well? I don't know. Maybe they were, we don't really know. But they went to his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God.
in a moment, God changed this hardened jailer. He became empathetic. He became compassionate. He became hospitable. He took them to his house. That was the first day. And Paul, as he's back in prison in a different situation, i got to believe he's thinking about Jerry the jailer or whatever his name is. And he's thinking, you know, I pray for you and I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I wonder what happened to that jailer. I wonder if he became a leader in the church. I wonder if he went on to disciple people. I wonder if he continued being a jailer, or maybe he got a different job. I don't know. But I think he was part of that church in Philippi for a long time. And I think Paul's thinking of Lydia, I think he's thinking of the former slave girl. I think he's thinking of the jailer and these stories. And he writes to them, he's saying, hey, God started something. God started something in your heart. And he's going to carry it on to completion. You're no longer under judgment. You're not going to be judged because of all the bad stuff you've done. And I bet that jailer did some bad things. You're not going to be judged. God's going to keep working in you. And he's going to carry you on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, that, those three individuals, they're in heaven right now. And if they were here, I kind of think that they might tell me and tell you, saying, hey, it was worth it. You know, we, we had to go through trials. We went through difficulties. We went through persecutions. But God kept that work going and he carried, on, carried it on to completion. And one day, you're going to meet Lydia and you're going to meet the jailer and you're going to meet the trafficked girl and we're going to fellowship with them in heaven. And so I want to encourage you, whatever God is doing in your life, whatever trials you're coming out of or going into, May you persevere with joy. May you understand that this world is not the end. This world is not where your treasure is. This world is not where your rewards are. There's a new day coming. There's another life that you will live. And it will be one of glory, one of perfection, one of peace. It's going to be good. And the day is coming. The day is coming. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the message of hope that is contained in these pages. Lord, thank you for the truth that your word gives us. Thank you for the stories that we can read that just come alive as we just take some time and think about what these people were like, what Paul felt. Lord, thank you that you have not left us alone, but you've given us your spirit to keep us in our way, to do a work that only you can do. Lord, have your way in us.
have your way in us. Help us to respond to you with faith and with trust. In Jesus' name.